are in Hebrews chapter 10, so I'll have you go ahead and turn your Bibles there. We've been in this chapter, or in this book, for quite a while now. I think, I think this is Sermon 30 uh, going through, and last week, if you were here, it, it was a pretty, pretty heavy sermon. We talked about apostasy, we talked about the judgment that will be experienced by those who reject God and his gospel. Um, we didn't have many moments to breathe. In fact, in fact, last week, just during my sermon, I wrote in the word breathe a couple times just to like pause and just tell you to breathe because it was intense, but that's exactly how the text was meant to be. It was meant to be intense. It was a warning for us, but now this week, the tone is very different. This week, we're going to see, um, we, we saw last week, the warning side of the pastor. And this side, we're going to see, as this author and this pastor, we're going to see his gentleness and his wisdom. Because now, he's going to come alongside this church. And in this passage, we see that he really does know who this church is. He's going to talk about their past. He's going to talk about the things that have happened. He knows them, and so he's going to encourage them to press on in the faith. He wants them to finish the race. And so what he's going to do after this strong warning he gave last week, he's going to come alongside this church and encourage them with three truths that he wants them to remember. And just as uh, the church of Hebrews needed these truths, we need them today also. Let me just ask you, do you ever find it hard to live by faith? Have you ever doubted your faith? Has pain, has hardship ever made you question God's presence in your life? I shared a story with you uh, weeks or months ago. Um, my family and I were hiking in the woods and, and my son was carrying my knife, and it had like this, this whistle, one of those emergency whistles attached to it. And, and as he's hiking, uh, the whistle somehow comes off. And upon finding that, he felt bad, and, and I wanted to say, hey, we should pray right now that we can find this whistle. And yet, as soon as I thought that, doubt crept in, and I began to think, but will God answer this prayer. Will we really find this little itty bitty small whistle in this vast forest that we're in? Uh, the irony is, I didn't want my kids to think that God doesn't answer prayer, and yet that's exactly at that moment what I was struggling with. And then moments later, my precious wife then says, um, Hey, we should pray, which they did. And then moments after that, I hear the words, hey, I found it. Have you ever doubted if God hears and answers your prayer? Have you ever doubted your faith? Have you ever doubted the goodness of God? Listen, the Bible over and over and over again shows us that God is good and faithful. But pain, hurt, suffering, Loss, injustice, social pressure, circumstances, anger, anxiety, frustration, all of those and so much more can make us begin to doubt our faith. And I'm sure uh, some of you look at what's happening in the world and while you might not doubt the reality of God, you might at times hear that small whisper, 
is he there? Is he good? And odds are, there's someone here today, and they're tempted to shrink back from their faith. Is that you? Are you tempted to throw in the towel? And and praise God if you're not. I hope you're not. But the reality is, very likely there's someone here, and, and very likely if you're not there at this moment, potentially you could be there at some point in the future. After all, we have an entire church who's wrestling with this, and, we're being, and it's being addressed th- by the author and in this book of Hebrews. You may be emotionally tired. You might be spiritually tired. And when weariness sets in, we can begin to think that I don't have the strength to continue to follow God. I just want to ask, does that resonate at all with you? Just wrestling with that. And so today, the author gives us three truths that are meant to strengthen our faith. These three, these three truths are meant to keep us from shrinking back so we'll run the race of faith. So we will get to the finish line. And so we will enjoy the very reward that God has promised us. And so what I want to do is invite you to stand. We stand at the reading of God's word. And we're going to read Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 to 39. Here we go, verse 32. But recall the former days, when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison. And you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Let me pray. Our Father, Father, be with us today as we wrestle with your word. Lord, as we have this beautiful text that calls us to live by faith, and we see just this glimpse of the Christian life in this text. Lord, I pray that your word today would be used to strengthen our faith. And if there is anyone here at this moment who feels weary, who feels just spiritually tired and has wondered, can I continue? Lord, I pray that these truths, that your word, by the power of your spirit, would strengthen and provide comfort this morning. Lord, we ask that you just pour forth your grace. Lord, you have told us in the book of Hebrews that your son Jesus is our high priest and that when we cry out to you, he gives grace. And so, Lord, we cry out right now, give grace. Give grace that your word, that the purpose of your word would be accomplished this morning and we would see you. We'd behold who you are, your goodness and your grace and your glory and the very promises that you have given us and that we would run by faith. Lord, bless the preaching of your word. In your name, Jesus, amen. You all may be seated. Uh, So we're gonna jump right in and and I wanna, let me just preface this real quick. 
if you know the book of Hebrews, next week's chapter 11. And, and we're going to try to do chapter 11 in two weeks. And, and chapter 11 is this great chapter of faith. And it's all about how we live by faith. And so the passage that we're in today is transitioning us to an entire chapter where we're just going to be zooming in on what does it mean to live by faith. So we're kind of just setting down some foundation stones today that are really preparing us for um, as we continue to go forward. And so we're just going to walk through these three truths. And um, truth number one, we must remember suffering is part of the Christian life. And we just got to remember that from the very beginning. Suffering is normal. We need to know that. Suffering is normal. Do you, do you know that? Like, verses 32 to 34, the author reminds the church of how they suffered in the past. And all throughout the Bible, we see how God's people suffer here on earth. I mean, Jesus spoke on suffering. Here's a couple verses. Matthew chapter 5, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Luke 14, 27, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Paul, Paul spoke on suffering a tremendous amount. Philippians chapter 1, verse 29. Think about how he mentions suffering here. For it has been granted to you. It is a gift that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe, but also what? Suffer for it has been granted to you. Is that how you think of suffering? It is a blessing that Paul says it has been given for us. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Acts 14, 22, The last part. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. When we go throughout the Old Testament, we see God's people continually suffering. In the book of Exodus, we see Pharaoh attempting to try to kill all the Hebrew male babies. We see in the book of, Hes- of, of Esther, there's a, there's a man named Haman. He wants to exterminate the Jews in all of Persia. We see this throughout the Old Testament. But there's suffering. In the, in the book of Hebrews that we're in, uh, suffering is so intense that he warns them of apostasy. The church is actually wrestling with, can we continue because there's been so much oppression? Listen, suffering is a normal part of the Christian life. God has saved us by his grace so we'd become a new, redeemed humanity. And the Bible, because of that, says we are now exiles. We are strangers here on earth. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, we are, our citizenship is in heaven, which means this earth is not our home, and therefore it will be hostile to us. We need to know that. Now, there's many, many false teachers in the world today, and their goal is to tickle your ears. That's that's a phrase that Paul uses in 2 Timothy. Their message is, you should have your best life now. Whatever you want, whatever you think you need, you should have. And if you don't have it, something's wrong. 
It's either wrong with you and you just don't have enough faith or you're a victim, you're being treated unfairly and you should have things but they're just being held back from you. But those are lies. Because what we see in God's word is suffering is normal. Jesus said in John 15, 18, if the world hates you, know that the world hated me before it hated you. He's saying if, if it hated the master, then what do you think is going to happen to those who follow the master? So we need to remember it's normal. We, we also need to know suffering has a purpose, and I, and I kind of wanted to dig into this, but, but we're not. So let me just give you basically three things. We're not going to unpack them at all today, but, but suffering does at least three things, at least three things. It makes us more like Jesus, James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. It advances the gospel of Jesus, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. It reminds us to depend upon Jesus, and let me just touch on that. Remember, Jesus is our high priest. And he tells us in chapter 2, verse 18, chapter 4, verse 16 of Hebrews, that when we cry out to him, what does he do? He gives grace. He gives grace. So suffering reminds us that we are weak, that we are finite, that we are temporary creatures, and we need grace. We need the strength of God to be able to persevere. But we're not going to unpack those because we don't have time for that today. But I do want to touch on this. Suffering is to be remembered. It's normal, it has a purpose, and suffering is to be remembered. Look at verse 32. The author says, recall the former days. He says, do you remember your suffering in the past? Don't don't forget that. Verse 32, he says, you've endured a hard struggle. Verse 33, you've been publicly exposed to reproach. That means you've been disgraced. You've been insulted. They willingly also partnered with those who suffered. So not only has the church suffered, but as as, as others within the church have suffered, people have suffered with them. They've chosen to identify with others who are suffering for the gospel. Verse 34, They had compassion on those in prison. They even joyfully accepted the plundering of their property. We'll come back to that one. Now, why is the author reminding the church of past suffering? Who wants to do that? Like, did you wake up today and you're like, huh, how do I want to start today? Let's think about all the terrible things that have happened to me in the past. Let's write them down. But yet that's exactly what he's telling them to do because we're not just supposed to forget them. Let me give you at least two reasons he does this, at least two. He's reminding them of past grace. He's reminding them of past grace. Verse 32 says, you endured a hard struggle. So that's what's happened in the past. You you went through really difficult times. You endured it. You acted obediently during those times. Verse 36, you have a need for endurance now. See what he's doing? They're, They're in hard times. They need to endure. They're saying we can't do it. There's no way we can continue on. So he says, do you remember past grace? Do you remember the things you've gone through? Do you want to know why you're here today? 
Because of grace. How did you endure those things in the past? Because of grace. And so the author wants them to know that the same grace that strengthened them in their past suffering will now strengthen them in their present suffering. Do you know that? That's why we need to reflect. That's why we need to remember. I mean, throughout the entire Old Testament, you will regularly hear the prophet saying, remember the Exodus, remember the Exodus, remember the Exodus. They're calling them to remember the trials and the pains that they were in in Egypt and then how God redeemed them out of Egypt by grace. The means in which they endured, in which they came out of suffering was grace. So many of you have gone through very, very difficult and painful trials. You've experienced loss. You've experienced pain. You've experienced hurt. You've experienced betrayal. You've experienced financial difficulty, relational scars. I mean, we, we could spend weeks in here just sharing the pains that have gone through. And do you want to know how you made it through those trials? Do you want to know why you're here today alive, breathing? It's because of grace. It's not that you were strong enough. It's not that you were good enough. It's because of God's grace. And just as God was faithful in the past to give grace, whatever trials, whatever you're facing today or tomorrow, God will give grace. Now, as I was writing that, I imagine, though, that there potentially could be someone here who's, who's a little calloused at this moment. Maybe the hurt's really fresh. And, you're, and you don't see God's past grace in your life. You look back right now, and you, you just see hurt. So let, let me just say two things. One, this is why we need Christian community. We need to hear how God has given grace in other people's hurts and pain so we'd be reminded to trust in him. Listen, if you're here today, God uses your pain, your hurt, the trials in your life as a means of comforting other people. Do you know that? We're meant to share those stories. So often, we just want to hold those things back as if, as if they're, they're stories of shame. And so we, we hide them, we bury them, we put them in a box, and we never bring them up, and we certainly don't want anyone to know about them. And yet, what those stories actually are are stories of God's grace in your life on how he's preserved you, on how he's kept you, on how he's comforted you, on how he's strengthened you, and how he's using you today. And not only do you need to remember those, but other people need to be reminded of the present way that God is strengthening his church today. Your your pain, your, your hurts, they're not useless, and they're not to be wasted. God has brought those into your life. In some reason, in some way, we might never know the full measure of why. But one thing we do know, or two things, they're meant to strengthen you. And they're meant to strengthen others as well. As you share 
about how God is continually faithful in strengthening you. That's number one. We need to remember we need the Christian community. Number two, we need to remember the cross. Because ultimately, when we begin to thinking of past grace, there is one event in the past that stands above all other events. And it's the cross of Jesus Christ. And it's on the basis of the cross, of what Jesus did at the cross, dying and rising three days later, we know he will give grace. In fact, that is Paul's argument in Romans 8.32. Just listen to this argument. He says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So here's the logic. If God is going to sacrifice his son for you, what else will he hold back? Nothing. So when you're wrestling and you're doubting, is God faithful? Is he going to give grace? And you're, you're feeling calloused at this moment. You look back in the past and you're not able to see the grace. And maybe even when you hear stories, you go, yeah, but your story's different than mine. It's not, it's not really my story because that's what we like to try to do and how we, we play down other stories and, and we play up our pain. But go back to the cross then because your pain doesn't equal the pain that Christ felt as he experienced the full measure of God's wrath that you and I deserve on that cross. And God now says, if I did that to my son out of the means of saving you, and now you need grace today to make it through whatever trial you're in, will he hold it back? No. So remember past grace. Remember the grace that God has given you in your life and others' life and ultimately at the cross of Jesus Christ. But there's another thing the author's doing here. He's reminding them of a future joy. Verse 34. The church joyfully accepted the plundering of their property. That's something we don't hear every day, right? How do we joyfully experience suffering? That'd be a pretty good thing to know, don't you think? If, if the world is characterized by suffering for the Christian, how do we experience that with joy? And so it really takes us to this next point, where we must remember the great reward we are promised to receive. So as he reminds them of this future joy, it's really to take them to this next point. We must remember the great reward we are promised to receive. What we're told is the church joyfully accepted suffering because in verse 34 we read, they knew they had what? A better possession, an abiding one, one that will last Verse 35, they have a great reward. Verse 36, encourages the church to endure so they will receive what is promised. So this better possession, the great reward, the promise that they're supposed to receive, all refers to the same thing. So what is this reward, this better possession, this receiving that makes present suffering a joy? That's what he wants us to know. And the reward is is the fullness of our salvation. Look, so I, I just want to go back, and we're just going to point out two texts in Hebrews that, that mention what we're looking forward to. 
chapter 9, verse 15. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, speaking of Jesus, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant. He guarantees that when you believe him, not only are you saved, but you will receive the full measure of the inheritance of God. But I want one that we haven't got to yet, and we'll get to in a while. Hebrews 13, verse 14 says, For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. In fact, as we go through Hebrews 11, we'll notice that Abraham left all that he had because he was looking forward to the city without foundations, the one that was built by God. So what is this city? I think ultimately we're talking about the new heavens and new earth that Christ will bring at his return. You see, the current world we live in is characterized by sin, by pain, by brokenness, by suffering, but, but that's not our future. Not at the end, it's not. When Jesus returns, not only does he promise to make us like himself, but he also promises to redeem all of creation. The cross of Jesus is not just about the forgiveness of your sins. Do you know that? I mean, it's a huge part, and we're not playing that down at all. The only way we get to Jesus and made like Christ is through the cross. But that's not all he was doing at the cross, the forgiveness of sins. He's also promising that one day, all of creation will be remade. And that new creation will not be characterized by pain and hurt, but by goodness and the grace of our God. Do you know that? Like That's how this new earth is going to be made. In fact, he gives us glimpses all throughout the Bible. We could look at Old Testament. We could look at New Testament. So I'll give you three glimpses of this new creation, of this reward that one day we will receive. Revelation 22, 5 I'll just summarize this one where it says, there won't be a sun in the new creation because God's glory and presence will be so intense that it will be our light and warmth. You realize that? Like we won't actually need a sun. Now, whether that's figurative or not, the point is God's glory will radiate so intensely that it will be the very warmth that warms our souls every day, and the light that lights our path. That will be what illuminates everything we do every day, because his glory will fill the earth. That's one picture we have. Here's another one. We read this one a couple weeks ago, Isaiah 11.6. And, and I love this one. So children, like, like pay attention to this one, okay? This is you. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fat calf together, and the little child shall lead them. So your, your child's going to be leading goats and wolves and lions, and we're just all going to be okay with that. It gets crazy, right? What's, what's the point? There's no war. There's no blood. There's perfect peace in this new creation. It's hard to even imagine. There will be no division. You won't even have a thought of anger, of hostility, of bitterness in you. 
you won't even wonder if someone else is second-guessing your motives. There will be no bitterness. There will be no anger. There will be no division because God's peace will be poured out upon all of creation and we will perfectly reflect his glory in that way. Isn't that crazy? That's that new creation. That's the reward. Next one. This is Revelation 7, verses 16 and 17. This is a beautiful picture. Um, in, in Revelation 7, we're told that there are people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language. They're all gathering around the throne. They're praising God. And then we read this. It says, they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb, this is the reason, for the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. You hear that? No hunger, no thirst, no pain, no hurt, no shame, no political division, no injustice, no guilt, no family strife, no death. All tears will be wiped away because the lamb in the midst of the throne will perfectly shepherd us at all times. Constantly, you will feel the relief, the care, and the comfort from the Son of God, Jesus Christ. No tears. <laughs> I don't care. We fast forward? So what's the point? The reward is incomparable. Incomparable. By incomparable, I mean it's matchless. There is nothing on earth that rivals the beauty and joy of the reward that God offers. God sent his son Jesus to die on a cross not only so we'd be forgiven and then live, or not so we'd be forgiven, and then live our own lives. No, he saved us so ultimately we would live with him in perfect joy, sharing in his glory, in a perfect, sinless, holy creation. So, why can we have joy when our houses and our vehicles and our stuff is taken, and most likely here in he Hebrews, is taken by political power, by, by, by those in authority within the, within the governing structures. So how is it that we can have joy when our houses, when our things are taken? Because we have an inher internal inheritance that will never be taken. Why can we have joy in the face of loss and death? Because we know that when Christ returns, we will never experience death again. We will forever live with the family of God, and never will there be, there, never will there be sickness, cancer, disease, or any pain or loss whatsoever. We know the end of the story. We know pain doesn't have the last word. It's because the incomparable future reward that Paul describes suffering this way. Romans 8.18. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed to us. 2 Corinthians 4, 17. This light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. 
2 Corinthians 5.1. We know that if this tent, our tent, our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God. A house not made with hands, eternal in heavens. In the heavens. The only thing that turns present pain into light momentary affliction is the incomparable matchless reward of God in Christ Jesus. That's what he's holding up. And one last thing to say about it, this reward is unfading. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, the inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. That means after a million years in eternity with God, with Christ, that the reward will be just as beautiful and glorious as when we first received it. It will not tire. It never fades, it never wears out, it never breaks, it never rusts. It's the perfect eternal joy is what God promises us in Jesus. This is what he's holding. This is what he's saying. Remember, suffering is normal. Oh, but there's a reward. And this reward is so great, it turns all this suffering, not to minimize it, but momentary because of the greatness in which we are promised Think of it like this. Credit cards are a great way to understand the world. You receive now, you pay later. You can have all your joy right now. You can have it, but you will pay. That bill is coming. That joy is, is going to be temporary. Because once that bill comes, it's not as fun. But for the Christian, we live on a different principle because our debt has been paid at the cross. We suffer now knowing that we receive later. You see the difference? You can either have it now and pay later or know that it's been paid now. And you suffer for a small period of time. And then we receive the eternal, matchless, incomparable reward that God offers. That's what he's reminding us today. But as we move to the last section, the last truth he wants us to remember, we might go, so how do we do that? That sounds great, okay? Suffering is temporary. I I get that. It's normal. We have this great reward. But how do I run in such a way as to remember that reward? What happens when the pain just keeps going? Like, I'm okay with persevering through pain for like a day, Maybe a week, month tops. But we all know when that pain compounds over month after month after month after year after year, as some of it does, it gets heavier, right? How do you run then? How do I remember that reward when I feel like everything is just pressing down? So that's the last point. We must remember we have been given an enduring faith. Remember I said this chapter is transitioning us to the whole chapter of faith. So this is where that that transition really kicks in. Verse 36 says our great need is for endurance. That's what you need. That's what I need. And then in verses 37 and 38, he's going to quote Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Now, real quick. 
little, little Bible study tip. When the Old Testament is quoted in the New Testament, we need to know the context. Okay? Like, he's not just pulling out words like this just sounds cool right here. But he, he's not only bringing the words, but he wants to bring the message of the original context with him. And so, real quick, uh, I'll give you the, the quick summary. Some of you might remember we preached to Bacchic during COVID, during 2020, something. God's people are being oppressed by the Babylonians. They're hurting. They're suffering. Habakkuk's crying out, what are you doing? Like, how is this happening? How can you use these evil people? We need help. What are you going to do, God? And so God basically responds and says, oh, I'm, I'm going to do a work that if I told you, you wouldn't even believe. And he tells them, I'm, I'm going to one day, I'm, I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to, I'm going to do a work, and I'm going to relieve the pain that you're in, and I'm going to judge your enemies. And so how do we wait as we're waiting for God to return to bring the judgment and to bring relief? And he then says, we live by faith. The righteous, the believer, shall live by faith. So now we take that. So how does the church endure present suffering as we wait for Jesus to return? Do you see that, that comparison? The Jews, Israel, they're waiting for God to bring relief and so that he will judge the Babylonians. And they're suffering right now. And so he brings that entire context over into the book of Hebrews and says, remember what happened there? They're called to live by faith in a time of suffering as they wait for the work of God to come, as they wait for the promises of God to become a reality. So what do we do now as we wait for this reward in a time of suffering? We live by faith. So there's three truths we need to know about faith. And again, we're just, we're just creating the framework for where we're going in chapter 11. And Ozan is preaching next week, and so uh, we'll see how he ties this together into next week. It's always a trick when you're, when you're preaching after someone else in a series, is to how do you keep it connected? And we have not talked about this, so here we go. Real faith trusts and the promises of God, and acts accordingly. Real faith trusts in the promises of God and acts accordingly. So let me just, let's just remember what we've learned in Hebrews. We believe Jesus is the Son of God, the very image of God, the creator of all things, who died and rose again so we could be forgiven of our sins, so we have confidence to draw near to God. We believe Jesus is our high priest, and he's at the right hand of God right now, and he will give you and I grace at every moment of the day, whenever we draw near to him, that we would stand firm in our times of temptation. And we believe when Jesus returns, he will bring forth the full measure of that inheritance, and we will receive it, and we will be with him, and we will enjoy his glory at all times. So those are things that we've been given in the book of Hebrews. So if we believe these things... The author's point is that you will not commit apostasy. You won't shrink back, but we will continue to believe and rejoice in Jesus knowing that he'll give grace. We trust in the grace of God 
more than in our present circumstances. So faith, trust in the promises of God. So we need to know who God is, what he's promised for us, and then we're going to live on the basis of that. So we're going to continue to rejoice. We're going to continue to be obedient to God in our circumstances. And we do that because, number two, real faith is enduring faith. He says, your need, in verse 35, he says, don't throw away your confidence, for you have need of endurance. Now, the author is not telling this fragile Weary church, try harder, run faster, do more. Rather, he's reminding the church that real faith continues to trust and obey God at all times, in all circumstances. We've said this throughout the series, so we'll say it again. Salvation is not about a one-time decision in Jesus. Our goal is not just to get our children or our loved one, our neighbor, to say a prayer and be like, we're good. They said the prayer, we sealed the deal, now we don't have to worry about it anymore. But salvation is not only about one decision, but it's about a lifetime of decisions about following God. Yes, at one moment, we do become justified. There is a moment. We are adopted into the family of God so that then we live every day for the glory of God, that we would draw near to him every day. And when we do that, we then live by faith, which means we will, we will continue to act in obedience to God's word. We will pray. We will read. We'll do what Hebrews Uh, Chapter 10, I think it's 24 and 25 says, where we will gather with the church. So we encourage one another. So we build one another up. We will do the very things that God has called us to do, not because those things are rely, not because we do those things in our power, but because we know that God gives us the grace and strength to do those each day. So while he's not calling the church to try harder, he's not telling them to be passive either. Does that make sense? He's telling him to remember, you are to obey God. Your faith is meant to endure. Continue to obey each day, knowing that God gives you the grace to do what he calls you to do each day. So you might then say, well, how how do I have that faith? How How do I have a faith that endures? The last thing I just want to say is, real faith is a gift from God. This faith that he's calling them to, this enduring faith, this the righteous shall live by faith, is the very faith that God gives each and every child of his. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God. Even the measure of faith you have to believe in God is grace. Do you know that? Even the faith you have to believe in God, to walk each day, is by grace. So I want to encourage you to remember these three truths, that suffering is normal, but there is a great reward that we are promised. And God calls us to live by faith, to trust in his future grace each and every day to trust in his promises that he will give the grace needed to live the Christian life. And then as I want to close, I want to read, I want to read the last few verses from the book of Habakkuk. 
Because at the end of the book of Habakkuk, nothing has changed. Circumstances are still hard. They're still being oppressed. But they've been given a promise. Relief will come. Judgment will come on the enemies. So this is how the book ends. And this is the author's prayer. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herds in the stalls. So none of this is good. Yet... I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. That's what the author is calling us to do today. He's saying, you're in a time of difficulty. You're in a time of oppression. And remember what we said earlier regarding trials. You're either in a trial, you're going into a trial, or you're coming out of a trial. But trials are always in the Christian life. But God gives us the grace that we would live by faith, trusting in his promises, that even in the midst of pain, even in the midst of oppression, we would have joy and we would praise God. As we go through the book of Hebrews, what we're going to see in chapter 11 is that all throughout the Old Testament, from creation all the way right to the New Testament, he takes us, all the saints that live by faith, trusting in the future promises of God of God, and that God gives them the grace to live by faith. Let us pray, and then we will begin taking communion. Father, we thank you for this morning. Father, we thank you that your word gives us a picture of the Christian life, tells us what it looks like to live here on earth, and that you reveal that we do experience suffering. And not only because we live in a sinful, broken world, but because we, because we are followers of you. And we are now aliens and strangers in this world. But Lord, we know that we are promised a better world. We know that we're promised a better creation. We know that there is a reward, and an inheritance, a possession, an abiding one. And that you will bring forth. That as we dwell with you for all of eternity, we would experience your glory, your peace, your joy for all of eternity. And that, Lord, this joy, this reward will never fade. And so, Lord, I pray that we don't shrink back. I pray that when, when our faith is challenged, when pains and hurts arise, we would remember past grace. How you not only preserved us and preserved others within the church, but ultimately the grace you have given to us at at the cross of your son, Jesus Christ. Promising that whenever we draw near to you, whenever we cry out to you, you will give grace. And may we know that there is a day coming where you will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And may our hope in that day, our faith in your promises, Therefore, strengthen us so that we would live through whatever circumstances we do here on earth, turning whatever pain we we experience into light, momentary affliction because we know the glory that sets before us. Father, we love you. In your name, Jesus, amen.